you need to train, <laughs> you need to recover from that. And then you need to do that over and over again. And you have to connect both those pieces, right? Your training has to be done in a way that facilitates better recovery. And your recovery has to be built around making sure you're ready to go the next time you get back in the gym. If you do that over and over and over again, you'll make improvements across each one of those repeats. And you will see continued results. If you get that balance wrong, you will not really, you know, it sounds simple and oversimplified, but at the end of the day, it is how the body works. Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined the line later today by the one and only Joel Jameson. Now, normally I would do like the whole week that was, recap, all that good stuff, but as you can probably tell based on our release date, we're pushing this out a couple days earlier than usual, mostly because Joel has a time-sensitive offer uh, for anybody that's interested in getting started with his Morpheus coaching platform. So if you're interested in that, make sure you listen to the whole show. And rather than doing like the typical bio and all that, I thought I would share a little story about Joel just to show you what a profound influence he's had on my coaching career. Because when I was starting off, and I can honestly say for about the first 10, 11 years of my coaching career, I paid very little attention to conditioning. I felt like if somebody wanted to get in great shape, either you do some like glycolytic based intervals, or you do some form of sprint based conditioning, or you just went out and played your sport and, and hope that you got in shape that way. And so it wasn't until I started working with one of my favorite athletes of all time, the notorious K-Dog at IFAST that I realized, man, this is a really big deal because K-Dog was a great soccer player, but her endurance and her conditioning were just not up to snuff. So I really started diving into Joel's work. Eric Otter and myself wrote a off-season conditioning program for her and to see the changes in this girl's fitness between her resting heart rate, her HRV, the subjective feedback we were getting from her. She was texting me after weekend soccer games like, I'm making runs in like the 80th and 85th minute that I've never been able to do before. So that immediately steered me in this direction. And just Joel's work as a whole has been so influential in the sense that I've used his work with football players, basketball players, soccer players, some incredibly elite athletes to help them get that last little bit of conditioning to help them improve their performance. So huge believer in everything that he does. I've used Morpheus. I've used BioForce. I mean, I just can't say enough good things about Joel. So in this show, we're going to really dive into this whole concept of train, recover, repeat. I know it sounds mundane. I know it sounds boring, but I think there's so many really just golden nuggets in this show that's going to make your life as a trainer, as a coach, or even potentially as still an athlete that much easier. So enough for me. Let's jump into this awesome episode with my guy, Joel Jameson. One thing Bill Hartman and I have talked about for years now is the power of mentorship. Early on, I didn't have a mentor to shape or guide me, or most importantly, help me find the blind spots in my own training and coaching. But luckily, after many years of trial and error, I found Bill, and my professional success exploded as a result. But the downside to the mentorship process, at least professionally, is that it can be pricey. For private mentees that I work with, it costs anywhere from $3.99 to $5.99 per month to work together. And while I know the results go far beyond that price, the fact of the matter is that just won't work for a lot of folks. So when Bill and I sat down a while back, we asked ourselves a really tough question. How can we help shape the future of the industry and truly make it great? And beyond that, how can we create amazing content yet make it affordable to virtually every trainer or coach out there? And the answer for us was simple, restart iFast University. Here's what you'll get when you become a member of iFast University. One update each month from myself and Bill. This could cover anything from improving exercise technique to writing better programs and everything in between. Twice per month Q&As, where Bill and I will personally answer your questions to help you become better at training, coaching, or even running your fitness business. A Facebook group where you'll be surrounded by like-minded trainers and coaches who are serious about getting better and access to the iFastU archives where you'll be able to watch literally hundreds of pieces of content from the iFast team over the years. This blend of content and Q&A is specifically designed to help make you the best trainer or coach possible. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to ifastuniversity.com to get signed on. We'd love to have you on board. 
Joel, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to have you back on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, you know, I've been in this industry a long time. I think I've, by by the time we've now hit COVID, I think I've seen it all across fitness. But I got started <laughs> back in the like late '90s, early 2000s on the strength conditioning side, University of Washington. Spent a little bit of time with the Seahawks. Opened a gym in the combat sports gym right was right next to me, so I started training a lot of fighters. And at the same time, I was introduced to heart rate variability technology, which is you know, back then it was like space alien technology that no one ever heard of before. And now it's on everyone's watches and our devices. But uh, basically spent the last, you know, 15, 20 years training a variety of people, working with different organizations from teams over in China to people down in Australia and kind of across the world. Worked with a lot of different world champions in combat sports, done a lot of stuff on both recovery and conditioning, wrote some books, you know, put out eight weeks out, my main website, just kind of... Uh, run the gamut of stuff. I'm kind of running out of things to do these days. If it's honest, <laughs> I haven't tried before. <laughs> I love it, man. So if people want to get more info on just like who you are and that story, you might be the most tenured person on my podcast at this point. Cause I think <laughs> I have you on like once a year, but I yep. think what I'd like to focus on at least at the start is the idea of recovery, because it's something I've always been very passionate about something I've always tried to like preach and focus on with my clients and my athletes. I know it's a huge piece of what you do. So talk to yep. me a little bit about that. Like, why did you get interested in recovery in the first place? Yeah, you know, it really goes back to what I just talked about. I was introduced to to heart variability or HRV, you know, literally like 20 years ago. And for those of you, those of you listening don't know what it is, and most people probably do at this point, but the simplest explanation is it's a measure of the cost of all the stress you're putting your body under, and it's showing you where you are in this stress recovery curve, because our body basically goes through these cycles of being under stress, whether it's physical stress from training or mental stress from life, and usually it's a combination, and then it has to recover from that stress. And this has to happen over and over again. If you do it right, then you get bigger, stronger, faster, leaner, whatever, you get better. If you do it wrong, you know, you go the other direction and, it, you know, and you hit a plateau and eventually you get injured, you burn out, all those other things. So, so really what it comes down to is, is how people structure the stress of their training and how that works together or against the stress of their life and then how well they're able to recover from those things and so when i first started looking at heart rate variability numbers i was training combat athletes i was training seattle cheer seahawk cheerleaders i was training you know just a variety of people like microsoft executives training kind of anyone and everyone in my gym and the biggest thing i realized was recovery was very unpredictable and often didn't have a whole lot to do with the workout like i thought it would because you know, as a coach, you always assume like the biggest stress in someone's life is the workout. So you think, oh, I pushed them really hard today. The next day, they're going to look completely fatigued and the recovery is going to suck. Or you think like, oh, we did a fairly easy workout today. So the next day they're going to look, you know, fairly well recovered. But those things just don't hold true. And the reason is because people spend, you know, an hour with me in the gym, maybe 90 minutes, maybe three times a week, four times a week. But it's all those hours in between that are driving their recovery. And if you don't have, basically, I realized if I didn't know what they were doing and I didn't have any insight into that, a lot of times my guesses about those things were completely off base. And I realized that the limitation in most people's results really wasn't, you know, this, this nuanced detail of was it three sets or was it four sets or was it, you know, 80% of max or was it 85% of max? I mean, I realized I was sweating over all of these details and spending a lot of time trying to put together these perfect programs. But like 99% of the time, like those aren't limiting factors. It's like you can write out all the, the sets and reps and all these perfect exercises and everything else. But then the guy goes home or girl goes home and sleeps five hours or three nights in a row, like it goes to shit. It doesn't matter what you do. <laughs> so it's really not about, you know, how much you can train. It's always about how much can you recover from. And that's really kind of the genesis of where I started realizing Training is a very important piece, and I would never say otherwise, but the recovery aspect of it is equally important. In some ways, it's more important because it dictates how much you can train, right? You can, you can right. only train as much as your body can recover from. If you don't recover from a given training load, you will not get results. In fact, you'll probably get negative outcomes from it. So it's just been you know, a journey of trying to unlock both sides of those, that equation of you know, how do we train, how do we organize loading, and then how do we facilitate recovery? And it's, it's got to go beyond this, like, oh, just take a day off. Like, that's the lazy man's recovery. There's, there's way more to it than that. That's like, say, just go lift some weights. You know, oh, just go, just take a day off. Like, no, we can do a lot better than that. So 
That's the long answer to your question. I love it. Yeah, I used to always talk about with my gin pop clients, the 23 hour rule, right? So mm -hmm. you got one hour in the gym where you can do all of the right things and then they have 23 hours out of the day to go home and screw everything that we just worked yeah, on and, up. And they do. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. I mean, I, I just distinctly remember, like, especially when I got like a big client, client load at iFast and we start really crushing things and I'm just thinking like, man, Feel like i'm a pretty good coach why are these people not getting results and then you start untangling these webs and you know one woman is emotional eating every night she goes home and eating like a pint of ice cream and <laughs> one guy goes out every weekend and drinks basically a case of keystone lights with his buddies it's like well no wonder yep. these people aren't seeing results right like they're yeah. not doing the things necessary to recover appropriately i mean it's again people kind of look at recovery as this like secondary thing but no yeah. like it is what ultimately dictates what happens from the workout you just did. And when we started digging into the HRV data across, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, there's some really fascinating stuff we'd see. I mean, sleep correlates the results as much as anything. We saw, like, we look at, like, college soccer programs, and when these college soccer programs were in finals week, which were not during the season, their HRV, their recovery would tank far more than when they were on playoffs. Like, wow. the stress of finals, of being under, you know, just the pressure of having to do well in a test and not getting sleep and, that whole thing for that, you know, three, four or five days of finals week literally would trash the soccer teams more than being on the road and playing in competitive tournaments in the playoffs. Like, you know, so people, I think, just don't fully grasp because they've often never seen it, you know, how much the life stress weighs down on them and how much that has the ability to sabotage all the hard work they put in the gym. And so people really have to connect these dots. And I've, I've built this model I've been preaching lately. It's called train, recover, repeat. Simple. It's just like it sounds. You need to train. Okay. You need to recover from that. And then you need to do that over and over again. And you have to connect both those pieces, right? Your training has to be done in a way that facilitates better recovery. And your recovery has to be built around making sure you're ready to go the next time you get back in the gym. If you do that over and over and over again, you'll make improvements across each one of those repeats. And you will see continued results. If you get that balance wrong, you will not really, you know, it sounds simple and oversimplified, but at the end of the day, it is how the body works. Well, it really is. And like, this is one of the things where when I'm working with people, I always preach like this mindset of you have to earn the right to train. You know, it's not like, especially as you get older. I mean, obviously that might be happening to me a little bit now, but it's not like back in the day where we could literally party on Saturday night and hang out till three in the morning. And then we'd go in the gym and we'd have like a heavy squat day on Sunday. And somehow we would get through that, you know, and now 20 some years later, you realize, well, number one, that probably wasn't the smartest way to do things. But number two, like, no, you have to do all the things right to earn the right to train at a high level. Otherwise, you're just wasting your time. Yeah, it's 100% the case. I mean, there is a reason that the average person in America is obese, right? Yeah, I mean, 30, 40% right? of our population is obese because... Yeah. They just live under this life of stress and they don't really know how to put these pieces together in a way that's sustainable. I would say that's the biggest difference between balancing your training recovery and not. It's sustainability. I mean, you can definitely overload your body and recover from a very short period of time. You can drop a bunch of weight quickly or you can put on strength quickly, but that's not sustainable. It's not this long-term lifestyle change that's going to lead to people actually achieving long-term health and long-term outcomes and you know, continued increases in performance. A lot of people just spin their wheels in the gym and they kind of do the same thing. They don't see results or they go through these cycles of being in the gym, being out of the gym. And a lot of it, you know, I'd say the majority of it, this comes down to people's lives are incredibly stressful for the most part. And they don't do a great job with, with trying to improve that. And then they just lump the train stress on top of that. And yeah. sooner or later, the cost of that is decreased motivation, worse results, injuries, you know, fatigue, all the stuff that you're, you're trying to get away from. You're trying to get the gym to avoid those things. And honestly, speeds it up in a lot of times because people's lifestyles are, are so stressful and not not built to improve their recovery they're built to basically just take away from it even further so this actually leads me seamlessly into my next question because you and i both know that lifestyle makes a massive impact on on how we recover and our ability to train at high levels but like what are some of the things that you see when it comes to hrv some of the lifestyle factors that we can start working on or that people can start talking about with their clients and their athletes to help them get better results. I mean, look, I mentioned earlier, sleep really is a huge one. And that's because that's where your body is the most anabolic. It's where 
the most energy is driven into recovery is during your sleep periods. So the first thing I always look at is, you know, if somebody's coming into the gym or I'm starting with somebody, look at their sleep. I mean, people are like, oh, I'm fine on six and a half hours of sleep. Like, no, you're not. <laughs> I mean, you might be getting by, but you're not doing well. Like you're not right. doing as well as you could be at least. So I always start there because I've seen such a strong correlation between sleep and recovery and overall results. And if you can't get that ironed out, you're going to be facing a much bigger uphill battle. So I look at two things. I look at just the total number of hours of sleep and realistically you want to get eight hours. I mean, it's kind of the cliche number, but at least eight hours of actual sleep, which usually means eight and a half hours in bed is, is what you're really going to want. If you're, if you're below that, I'm not saying you can't get by, you can't make progress, but it'll be slower and it'll be harder and you will take longer to recover from that. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is let's look at sleep consistency. So people tend to have hectic schedules and their sleep schedules will be all over the map a lot of times. So if they're going to bed, you know, at 10 PM one night and 2 AM the next day, that that's bad. Even if they got eight and a half hours or eight hours sleep, it's much harder in the body to be very acyclical. Like you need this very consistent pattern, if at all possible with sleep. So I tend to look at people's overall sleep consistency and their wake sleep cycles and people that can dial those things in tend to be much more consistent in their recovery and their results and their HRV tends to reflect that. So I look at both of those things. And then there's, there's honestly, when you start getting into sleep, there's, there's a lot of things people can do that are you know not that difficult. So the, the first one is, you know, if you look at someone's sleep patterns, aren't great. A lot of times it's because they have caffeine way too close to the evenings and the bedtime. They don't realize the impact of it because they're so used to doing it that right. it's just kind of how they've always, you know, operate. lived their life. Yeah. Operate. Exactly. Yeah. So if you can get them just cut out the caffeine, just go to decaffeinated drinks, you know, five, six, eight hours away from bedtime, which sounds like a long time, but that's just the reality. A lot of people metabolize caffeine slowly. And then you know, I look at the bedroom. The bedroom is the single easiest place to either screw your sleep up or get it right. So if you have a lot of light coming in, if it's noisy, if your bed sucks, I mean, there's, there's all these things that will negatively impact your sleep. So first thing is just make, it, make the room as dark as you can. That can literally be getting some good blackout blinds. It can be putting on a face mask. You have no way to make it darker. You know, if you can't make your room quieter, get some white noise machines or get some music on. Like there's, there's ways to just improve your sleep environment in a way that can have a big impact. So you can, I always start with sleep, like I said, just because it's such a big driver of everything. And then I kind of work backwards into how people handle mental stress, how active they are in their days when they're not in the gym versus they're in the gym, all these sort of things kind of cascade, but sleep is really the, the foundational piece I start with is because it's, it is when you are recovering, it's a third of your life if you do it right. Right. Well, brought up a great point there kind of at the end, like one of the things that I find beyond sleep, like you said, once you've checked the box of like sleep and nutrition and like meditation mindset, like yep. movement is something that we kind of take for granted because too often now we assume, oh, why well, go to the gym three days a week? That's enough, right? And then you totally discount the fact that, well, that's fine. And that's great that you work hard on those three days, but like the other four days out of the week, if you're totally sedentary, like that's not easy for your body to process. Like I just think about like what we were born to do, we're born to move. So like, that's yep. why on those off days, and I know we'll talk about this more, but like, I'm such a big believer on, Hey, on your off days, even if you don't do like a true like conditioning session, go out. If you have a dog, walk the dog, get out in nature, like walk briskly, hike, do something for even yep. 20 to 30 minutes. And people are shocked at how much better they feel when they do that. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I can't echo that sentiment even more. I mean, it's, like you said, we are born to move because movement drives blood flow. Movement drives all kinds of regenerative things through the body. And if you don't move, you get stiff and your recovery is slower and everything basically becomes worse. And as we age, <laughs> you know, as we age, what happens, we, we move less and less. And, you know, this is a sad story, but my mom was a perfect example of this. She was a flight attendant. She traveled around the world. She was massively active. She has stroke. It caused her to not be able to move nearly as well. And over the years, she just declined and declined and declined and fell apart from just purely lack of movement. I mean, we have to move. So I like to tell people like there is no real off day. I mean, you're off day. Right. Don't get me wrong. Like plenty of time to be sitting on the couch watching football or Netflix or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's your 24 hour cycle is watching Netflix and sleeping, <laughs> that's, that's not as good for recovery as you might think it is. You know, you need to get up and move around. So you know, even on the days where I'm, where I'm not doing, you know, a, a quote unquote gym workout, like you said, I'm out walking, I'm out hiking, I'm out riding my bike. Like I, I have a pool now, so I can do some swimming and some treading, you know, like I'm, I'm trying to get usually, usually I made my quote unquote off days. I'm doing like 12 to 13,000 steps 
yeah. day of just general activity. And then my training days, I'll tend to be anywhere from like 14 to 18, depending on what the, the sessions look like. But you should never have a day, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong every once in a while, but you should never have a day where you're literally just on the couch or you're just kind of running errands and not actually focusing on quality movement and doing things that promote recovery. That's what I'm, you know, so I'm saying if you're going to put the time into the gym, like you have to put the time into the rest of the hours as well. So if, if literally all you do is get enough sleep, are active enough, eat sound nutrition, or eat, you know, just quality nutrition and you train, like those are the four things. If you can do that, everything else will come together. Right. If you, if you blow one of those pieces all to, to hell and you have terrible sleep or you're completely inactive in your days off or your food diet's terrible, it's one, one of those dominoes will knock the whole thing over. Like yeah. it becomes a limiting factor at some point. If you don't get enough sleep, I don't care what else you do. It's going to be a lot harder to recover. If your nutrition's terrible, same thing. You know, if you're inactive, same thing. Like they all have to work together and your results will correlate to that. You'll see tremendous re positive results. If you do those things, if you screw any of them up completely, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. So funny. You talk, you talked about that. Cause I had this flashback when we first started using your old system was bioforce, right? Was that the original like HRV? Yep. OG. Okay. The OG, OG system. Yes. Yep. So I had a girl, this was probably eight years ago now. We were getting her ready, tracking her HRV every day. We were training her six days a week, right? So like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we were lifting. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, we were conditioning. I said, Sunday is yours. You can take that off. And so we're tracking this. And like week after week after week, every day, she's like green, except Monday. I'm like, why are you red every Monday? She's like, I don't know. She's like, I don't do anything. I'm like, well, what do you mean? You don't do anything. She's like, no, like literally I don't do anything on Sunday. And it was literally like the Netflix and chill. And so I said, okay, let's switch this up. And I said, I want 15 to 20 minutes of movement. I don't care what you do. Walk the dog, get in your pool, go for a swim immediately. As soon as we do that, she's green every Monday. It was crazy. Yeah. It was I mean, crazy. it is, it is crazy, but I mean, like you said at the beginning, the body was built to move. We are fundamentally built to move. And when we don't move, we just sit there everything gets worse. I mean, look at people in the hospital that are sedentary completely and stuck in hospital beds. I mean, yeah, they're not exactly the epitome of health. I mean, <laughs> right. you don't have to go do 20,000 steps a day, but you know, I, I kind of think like 8,000 for most people should be like a minimum threshold. Like if you don't get at least 8,000 steps in, you're, you're probably not helping your recovery and you're probably slowing things down a bit. And again, you don't want to go crazy on your, your non-lifting days or whatever and do 20 every single day. You'll, you'll kind of go that direction. But I kind of said that bar of at least 8,000 on, on days where you're quote unquote off is, is a number of steps that you should get that will, I you know, a bare minimum get enough quality movement in there where you're, you're not hindering your recovery and you're probably doing yourself some good on that end. I love but, it. Uh, yeah, I've, I've seen the same thing over and over again, especially the higher level of fitness you get, the more, more movement you need because you need more recovery and yes. the more athletes sit around you, nothing, the worse they're going to feel and the worse they're going to perform. The worst thing you can do before game day is nothing. Yes. <laughs> I mean, flat out. If you do nothing the day before a game and people think that's the right thing, like, Oh, I'm just going to take it easy. I'm going to relax. No, right. Like, don't do that. You know, like we, when I look at the, the fight camp stuff, when, when I was training all the fighters and Demetrius Johnson and you know, all these high level guys, like fight week was hectic. You know, there's, there's right. the stress of being in front of the media and cutting weight and all these things. But these guys, we, we train twice a day, like every, every day during fight week, you know, they're hitting pads, they're rolling, they're sparring, they're watching video while they're doing those things twice a day. I mean, we're getting probably an hour to an hour and a half of training in every single day leading up to a fight. There was no like, oh, we're going to take Thursday fight week off. Like, <laughs> right. No, right. Like, you lose sharpness, you lose mobility, like you lose yeah. that edge. Like you cannot just take a day off and do nothing. If you're an athlete, it's the worst thing for performance if you're leading up to a competition. And the same thing does apply to everybody else. Like lack of movement is the enemy. It's just not good for you. Yeah. Unless you're sleeping, then it's great. Yeah, then it's great. Then it's great. Okay. So, so let's talk about programming because I think too often we get focused on the big days, right? Like yep. whether it's squat day, bench day, your heavy clean and jerk day, like whatever you're into, right? We get excited about those days. And too often we either don't program anything on those off days or it's an afterthought. And I think that's yep. a mistake. And I think you agree. So talk to me a little bit about filling in the gaps with your programming and how you use those off days to set you up for bigger, high intensity training days. Yeah. I mean, when I write programs, I, I use three categories of, of day of all the names. Basically I have a, a red day, which is my highest intensity, highest volumes, you know, like those are my get after days. Those are my 
heavy explosive lifts and all that stuff or my high intensity conditioning. Then I have my more moderate days, which I would call my green days. And again, those are like, I'm going to feel fatigued, but I'm not going to feel destroyed. I'm going to do more upper body and less volume of explosive lifts, more accessory type stuff. And then I have my blue days, which are my, my actual recovery days. And those are going to be, could be a mixture of things. It could be an actual in-gym session where I move and I breathe and I do some recovery things in the gym, or it could be like, I'm going to go out for a hike or a walk or a bike ride or swim or whatever the case may be. And I program those days across the week. I mean, I don't leave, generally speaking, in most of my programs, I do only have one day where it's quote unquote off. And even then, you know, the goal is to get, in, get at least 8,000 steps and maybe do some sort of regen. And that's usually on a Sunday. It's never, there's never a day in my, in my week where I'm just like, eh, you know, do whatever you want. Like it's, it's gotta be specifically <laughs> built around one of those three days. Right. So I tend to basically, anytime I have a red day, like anytime I'm have a heavy high intensity lifting session or a heavy high intensity cardiovascular session, conditioning work, like the next day, you know, almost invariably is going to be a blue day. Like I try to avoid back to back to back to back to back you know, high intensity or moderate intensity without some sort of recovery day in there. And again, it's programmed into the, into the training week. So it could be, like I said, I'm going to, I'm going to go do a three or four mile hike. And then I'm going to come back and do some mobility work and I'm going to jump in the pool and trade water. Or I'm going to go for a bike ride. I'm going to do whatever. Like, I'm just going to do those things on my actual recovery days. So if you, if you call it a recovery day and you list off things that people can and should be doing, and you, they consider that a part of training, you know, I find it helps a whole lot than to just kind of say, oh, it's your day off today. And like I said, I almost, there's very few cycles where I will not have a, you know, a blue day, which, you know, recovery following those red days, because yeah. that's where the train recovery repeat cycle works, like train and then recover. If I do something that's high intensity, high volume session, then do something to promote recovery right after that. I always look at it as the more train you do, the more recovery right afterwards you need. Yeah. It's, you know, it's really that simple. And I think the biggest reason people fail in the long run is, is if you have incomplete recovery, like meaning I load and then I take a day off and do nothing. And then I load, and I repeat that. If you start to accumulate fatigue, meaning you have incomplete recovery across these cycles and you start doing that over and over again, you just get down the spiral. So I basically will tell somebody if you are carrying fatigue into the following week, you're setting yourself up for failure. If you go in the gym on day one of the training week and you're still tired from the previous week, you're screwed. Like right. If you do that more than two or three, four times, like you're just going to go downhill. You should start each week not feeling like you're still tired and fatigued and, and shot from the last week. That's going to accumulate fatigue. And all that does is slow down recovery even more. And you get yourself in this recovery spiral, this recovery debt, because your body just never fully recovers from the last time you put yourself under load. So I think that's the single easiest thing I can tell people to avoid overtraining injuries, plateaus is every time you start a new training week, you should feel like you are starting your train week without carrying the stress and the fatigue and the load from the last train week. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. If you're an athlete and you're in training camp, you're not always going to feel that way, but you should always try to. And even in that scenario, that's, that's why, you know, I looked at tons of seasons of HRV data and you can see these just progressive downhill spirals in these athletes. And they're the ones who got hurt. They're the ones who were performing terrible when it came to playoff times. And then you see other athletes who would just maintain it. You'd see that basically they wouldn't get better during the season but their fitness and their overall HRV would stay stable during the season. And those are the ones that were performing well and they were healthy and they weren't falling apart in the season. And it's very, very clear. You just see this pattern. The people who from week to week to week carry fatigue over and over again, they just spiral downhill slowly or sometimes quickly. And the people that can at least stay stable under those loads, they don't. They, they perform consistently. They perform at the end of the season. They're the ones that you want to count on when the, you know, the game's on the line, the playoffs are... Right. there so it's the same thing in life like you don't want to carry fatigue from one week to the next you don't want to keep loading yourself when you're already fatigued from the previous period of loading and the way you avoid that is focus on the recovery before the next loading it's really that simple right how different is that than what we grew up thinking like think yeah. about like how we used to think about programs right like we used to talk about like all the zatsiorsky stuff delayed transmutation or transformation. I don't remember which one it was now, but you know, where you're assuming, oh, Russian squat cycle, you know, like four to six weeks, I just got to smash myself. And then I take a two week deload just to try and remove all that fatigue, right? Just think that's how we used to yeah. think you had to do it. The problem is like, don't get me wrong. Like those types of models can work, but there's, there's only one, well, there's a couple of reasons they work. The first one is those athletes have been training that way their entire life. Right. Like their work capacity is off absolutely insane. Yes. It's off the charts. They've been training that way for 20 years. And the second thing is there's some, like all the stuff that Berkashansky and Zatzorski and all these guys 
Like they were dealing with some of the best athletes in the world. It's just right. idiotic <laughs> to like take it's like taking LeBron James program as like a 12 year old and be like, oh, this is making me like LeBron James. Like, right. no, like <laughs> unless you're LeBron James, LeBron James are, you know, like these top pro athletes have some of the best genetics in the world. They're full-time athletes. This is all they do. This is their life. Like you can't take what might work for them in certain circumstances and think it's going to work for you unless you are them, which you're probably not. So, you know, the, the Russian stuff, like don't get me wrong, there was, there was merit in it. Like there was value in the way they looked at training but they were looking at a completely different thing yes. than the average person is looking at. You're talking about a professional athlete who's trained in, in the Russian cycles. Like they didn't go to school. Like they were just <laughs> athletes their whole damn life. Right. So like, <laughs> you're taking somebody who's like 24 years old, who's trained since he was, you know, eight or 10 in a Russian training camp loaded with drugs for most of his life, probably. There we go. Yep, and they're like, too. well, this is how we can overload people for six weeks at a time. And then we can get super compensation in the, in the subsequent deload. <laughs> like those <laughs> loading phases would kill most people. Like it's, it's just, it's not the right way to train for 99% of the population. And if you're that 1%, then, you know, sure. But you're probably not listening to this podcast and you're, <laughs> and you're probably, you know, at, at a whole different level. So it's, it's just, we like to look at these crazy complicated things, like I said, but it just, it does not work in the real world for the vast majority of people that are trying to get, you know, healthier and faster and play better and, you know, live longer. It's just not the same model at all. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that I found too, I don't remember your color days, but like, I think yellow, red, blue, right. I don't know what, what yours were, but like a, a medium day, a high intensity day, yep. and then like a, a recovery day. And yep. so I started doing that. I really started pushing that with my guys this year and man, they just really liked it. You know, it's like, okay, they kind of know. I don't call it recovery day because I think sometimes there's like a negative stigma with that, but I just call it a conditioning day. And I know full well, you know, we're getting some metabolic repair in there. Like we're flushing everything out. We're doing concentric focused activities. We're going through full ranges of motion just yep. because I try and explain to them like, look, you're with me five days a week. You're on the court five or six days a week. Like not every day can be high intensity. And luckily, you know, I'm with a group of guys that get that, you know, because luckily they're, you know, mid twenties, they kind of know at this point, like you just, you can't go high intensity every day. And when they've tried, it hasn't worked out well. So it's been a huge thing for me and like, they love it now. They kind of know, okay, Wednesday is like a conditioning day. And we know that that's going to set the table so that we can have a good finish to our week. Yeah. I, I call it rebound day just because it's kind of oh, yeah. like rebound, like rebound, right? Rebound. Right. Which would actually play really well if you're basketball guys. Yeah, I should be uh, using that. That's a better word than I Yeah, rebound. It's blue rebound day. So, yeah, I mean, the biggest thing I think that we need to look at from a coaching profession standpoint is giving people that we train the opportunities to recover. Because, you know, if the person thinks your only job is to smash them into the ground and and you think your only job is to smash them into the ground, you're missing a big part of the puzzle and you're, you're going to lose people. Like that's why retention is, is a challenge for so many people. You need to give people options, you know, either with you or on their own in the gym or whatever to have these sort of recovery based sessions, whatever you call them. Like it needs to be a part of your programming. It needs to be a part of your coaching. It can't just be come in the gym, smash, see you next time. And yeah. Unfortunately, that's what a lot of people do for coaching. And they have this, it's both. It's, it's the person coming in the door thinks that's what they want. And the coach thinks that's what they should be doing, but it's not. It's, it's just not a long-term recipe for success if your job is just smash and dash and, you know, crush people and <laughs> see you later. Like, it's just, it's not a sustainable coaching model because it's not the way the body was designed to work. And you're going to turn people over quickly. You're going to lose people after they stop seeing results after a first, you know, month or two. And you're just going to have a lot harder time building a successful coaching business and delivering consistent results. Well, I hate to say it like this, and I'm sure I'm going to offend some people, but it's like, that's... Well, like when you think of the prototypical CrossFit model, that's what it is, right? Or yeah. at least that's what it was built on. It's like every intensity or every session, high intensity, we're pushing ourselves, like gut it out. And then ultimately, a lot of those people just end up getting injured, right? Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's, I think there's multiple, very, multiple factors why kind of the, why they had so many problems in their model, but that was definitely the core of it is why their turnover was so high. Like, you come into a neighborhood and like people sign up and then four weeks, eight weeks later, 12 weeks later, the majority of those people have quit. And you kind of have this car, you have a hardcore group of crossers will stick with you forever, but that's not enough people to build a sustainable, economically viable gym, which is why the right. average crossfit pox donor was making like 40 grand a year working 80 hours a week. Right. Like just can't build a model where you're going to grind through people. And it, you know, it just doesn't work. Like it's this, you know, don't get me wrong. There's 
there's these people out there that want to do that, but it's a small number of people in the fitness community that really want to go in and get their ass handed to them every day because it's not productive. And if you, the funny thing is, if you take a step back and then I've seen enough programs now of people that are training for the CrossFit games, and I've talked to enough coaches that are working these athletes on a daily basis, like their programs don't look anything like that. I mean, <laughs> right. You know, the actual athletes training for CrossFit at a high level are not following this original CrossFit model. So I think coaches have realized like, hey, if we want to actually do well in the sport of CrossFit, we can actually use the training method of CrossFit to get there. The, right. the, the model was not really built for that. So and I think at this point, there's there's a reason recovery is getting more focus and more attention. I mean, more devices now are focusing on recovery. More people are talking about it. We see recovery and regen centers popping up and stretch labs and like the, you know, the percussion therapy all the you know stuff out there is is getting a lot more popular because people have kind of come to this conclusion that we've been talking about that if you just smash yourself and you don't recover from it you're going to set yourself from failure so i think we're in a good we're in a better part you know better place and that people are looking at these things but i still think there's a bit of disorganization and kind of how it's done it's kind of piecemeal it's like oh i'm tired today i'll i'll go you know try a float tank for today like there's or i'll do cryo like there's it's kind of the supplements. Like to me, look at all these things as like the supplements, right? Like, oh, I'm going to yeah, pop some absolutely. supplements. I'm going to pop some caffeine, right? Like it's a short-term fix, but it doesn't right. fix your broken program. Like your recovery has to start with how you organize your training and the things you do in your lifestyle. And then all these little accessory things, you know, are the supplements that help put on the last little bit. They can play a role, can be valuable. But, you know, if you're doing cryo twice a week on six hours sleep, are you really, are you really helping yourself? <laughs> like, probably not. Right. Yes. Now I have the, I laugh because I mean, I know people that are trying to do this. They're basically trying to outsmart the body in some way. And look, I mean, some of my best friends own like a really good recovery facility here and I will send every client I have to them. But I also try and explain to them like, look, this is something that's like, I don't want to say on an as needed basis, but if you're relying on this all the time, then we need to take a deeper look at one of those big rocks, right? Your training, your nutrition, your recovery, or like yep. mindset, the mental piece, because something there isn't working. And so it's not, it's not ever to take things away from that because I mean, hell, you did a whole book on recovery methods and modalities and how to apply those. But it's one of those things where if you're constantly leaning on those, the other downside to that is, well, eventually the effectiveness wears off. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So like, whether it's massage or a sauna or, you know, contrast, like whatever tool you're using, the more often you use it, the less effective it becomes. So I always try and explain that to them too. It's like, well, if you bench press 135, every session you go in the gym, eventually your body's like, ah, whatever, I don't care about this. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's why I said there becomes so many more opportunities for recovery solutions out there. And that's a good thing. But again, it is also how you use it. And, you know, like I said, if, and you just mentioned, like, if, if you have to rely on these, your programming is broken. So our, our recovery always starts and ends by looking at what are we doing for training and what are you doing the other 23 hours a day and like fix those things first. And then you can add in these other types of things that can help stimulate and they can help play a role, but you can't rely on those things. Like yep. they can't, you can't out regenerate a terrible sleeping program or a terrible diet or, you know, huge amount of mental stress, like learn how to relax. That's, yeah. That's like <laughs> yeah. Start, you know, like learn how to shut off for a minute without, you know, without all the noise around you and be able to get your parasympathetic system on without, you know, the way that most people are dealing with it. So it's an interesting time. I mean, like I, said, I think recovery is, is popular, getting more popular for a reason, but people need to kind of look at the big picture if they're going to really dial things in. And as coaches, you need to understand recovery. That's the other thing I would say is, you know, understand what's out there, understand what people are doing, help your people recover as much as you help them train and consider lifestyle part of coaching. I think it's, you can't separate people's lives in the gym from the people's lives outside the gym and expect to really see long-term, you know, improvements in everyone you're training if you disconnect those entirely and the way you look at it. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So this is perfect timing because imagine I am a total noob. I want to get into training or I'm a coach. And, or a trainer, and I want my clients to get better results. Talk to me about Morpheus. What is it? What can it do for me? Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, I built Morpheus to solve the problem I saw in coaching 20 years ago. I saw this issue, like I talked about early on, where I would train people, and they come back to me the next day or the next day or whatever, and the way I thought their recovery would look and the way I thought they would be able to perform was totally wrong. Like, I just realized 
The problem with coaching, the single biggest problem in fitness is the other 23 hours a day are what drive your results, period. And if you're a coach or a trainer or whatever, you're basically just left in the dark. Like you don't really know how much sleep someone got. You don't really know how much stress they're under at work. You don't really know what their diet looked like. You can ask them, but you're probably not going to get great, honest result or, you know, feedback that's, that's going to be super valuable. And so your whole career, like producing results, like if someone's coming to you, they're paying you because they want to get better. They want to get leaner. They want to get stronger. They want to play better. And you know, their results are what they're paying you for. But the problem is you can't do your job for shit because you don't have a view into the, any of those things that matter. Like all you can look at is the workout. And that's a very small piece of how results are driven. So I built Morpheus to solve that one single problem by taking wearable data that people have from their Apple Watch, from their Fitbit, from their Garmin, from their Polar, from their Aura, from just about anything out there. We can track activity, we can track sleep, we can track train heart rates. And then our own devices, the Morpheus devices, which is an HRV band, basically, so we can put HRV in there and then chest strap for train as well. Like we take all that data and then we analyze it and then we give it back to coaches so they understand what's going on. We give them a big picture of what someone's recovery is on a daily basis. We give them an idea of how much load they've been under. We give them an idea of how active they've been, what their sleep has looked like. And we use you know, the back end of the software to make that information really easy to understand because it's easy to get overwhelmed if you're looking at you know, 50 people's sleep data across a month. Like that's a lot of information. Right. But we go through there, we create what we call insights and we look for the people that are going the wrong direction that, you know, consistently haven't been doing the right things. And we'll pull those insights out. So you can scroll through just what do I need to know today? I can scroll through people's insights. I can see, I, I personally use more because I look at 30 day averages and see, you know, 30 day averages tell me a lot about the directions people are headed. You know, if over 30 days, someone's average sleep has been six hours and their average recovery has been 70%, I know someone's not going to perform particularly well if I'd load them a lot. So it basically is just built to help us as coaches connect everything that's happening in someone's life to what I should be doing with them in the gym. And then it takes all that data and it gives people heart rate zones to help us do that. So we give basically a, a lower intensity blue zone that's going to help promote more recovery exists a green zone, which is more conditioning, which is where you're going to spend most of your time if that's your goal. And then a red for overload or high intensity. And those zones shift based on people's recovery. So, you know, it's basically a dynamic heart rate training. So as people fatigue, you know, they're going to be in the red at a lower heart rate. So we're, we're managing stress more effectively by doing that. Essentially, it's the same thing as like, if someone's fatigued, I'm going to lower the weight in the bar a bit for even for the high loads. If they're fatigued, I want to lower their heart rates a bit, even in their high intensity. So I don't overload them over time. So at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, it's two main pieces. It's, it's managing their recovery by looking at all the pieces outside the gym, and then it's helping them manage their training inside the gym through this heart rate training platform. So I'm excited to get it out there. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to really open a lot of people's eyes and give coaches a whole new way to interact with their clients and to say, hey, no, you didn't sleep last night. Look at your <laughs> numbers, dude. Like A lot of it is I think, putting accountability back on the clients because the unfortunate part is you know, the clients ultimately are the ones paying you as a coach, and they're paying you for results but a lot of their results are in their own hands. I mean, you're not holding their hand for 23 hours a day. People need to be responsible for their own lifestyle behaviors. They need to be responsible for their own diet, their own sleep habits. Like if they're not doing those things, then there's nothing you can do except, you know, manage their training as best you can. But people need to see the impact of those things. And there needs to be that layer of accountability where the coach can go back and say, look, like the reason that you're not seeing consistent results is because these are all things you're doing to sabotage, you know, what we're trying to achieve together, like right. fix these things. If you want to see better results, you know, it's, it's, I think it just changes some of the dynamics a bit and it gives coaches just a much better window into what people are doing and what they're, they aren't doing. And it makes coaching so much more effective where you can say, Hey, look, your last off day, you didn't, you took 10 steps. <laughs> like what you did go to the bathroom <laughs> once, like get your ass out and move a bit in your off days. And all of a sudden, boom, like you said, like you can see some really big changes with some very, fairly small interventions and all of a sudden you can start having just a much broader window of what coaching means it doesn't just mean like figure out sets and reps it means like help people dial in these things outside the gym and and add that accountability so they do those things so you know it's it's been a labor of love it's been a lot of work but i'm extremely excited to get out there because i think it can transform really the way people do look at coaching and, and go away from this idea that's just sets and reps and intensity to know it's it's more than that it's not just the training it is the recovery side that becomes a big part of your focus if you want to help people repeat, if you want to help people sustain and build long-term gains. Well, back in the day, we used to like preach the concept of auto-regulation, right? Just yep. go, you just train based on how you feel. 
And I think that sounds great. And it's one thing if it's us, but as trainers, a lot of times we have this tendency to, oh, I can, I'll, I'll get through this. You know, you don't feel good, you push through it. Or you never know if your client or an athlete's really being honest with you, right? Like you never know. Right. So the great thing about this is this is true auto regulation, right? Like this is real time. Like, no, you didn't move enough. You didn't sleep well, whatever. Therefore, I'm going to change your workout for today based on where you're at. Like that's the beautiful thing about this. And that's why I love this kind of technology is because like we could write the best program ever, right? Like, oh, I'm going to wave the high intensity and the low intensity days, or oh, I don't think this person recovers well. So I'm going to give them a high intensity day, whatever, every two or three days. Like there is no guesswork with this because you literally know day to day where somebody's at and you know the best way to load them to make sure that they get a high quality training session in. Yeah, exactly. I mean, trainers jobs, coaches job right now, whether they realize or not, it's like trying to pick stocks and invest in the stock market if you could only see what a stock was doing like once every two months like, yeah right <laughs> how good would you be able to pick those stocks if you couldn't see what's happening from a day-to-day or week-to-week change like you would just be shooting the damn dark because you would, wouldn't have the full picture and that's unfortunately just what coaching is whether we realize it or not and most people understand that you're just kind of guessing like you're, you're you're using some intuition but at the end of the day if you're training 20 30 people or, or you have group classes coming twice a day like then you're not even guessing you're just kind of following a plan and hoping it works out but if you can actually start seeing these things behind the scenes you unlock that black box you can see what people are doing outside the gym you can see whether or not they're getting enough sleep you can see how much stress they're under you can see how active they are you can see all these numbers then coaching becomes not guesswork it becomes coaching it becomes using knowledge and expertise to say hey it looks like the reason that we need to back off our intensity here is because you're just not getting enough recovery given how much you're sleeping, you know, and, and, and sometimes just having those conversations makes people go, what, like I need to improve my sleep. And then <laughs> they, they do it. And all of a sudden, you know, the results are vastly different. Like I can't tell you how many times I've, I've seen that where like, I literally made no change in someone's program, but I got them to fix something, their lifestyle. And then all of a sudden they come in, they PR, they feel amazing. And then that light bulb goes off in their head where they're like, yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> like you know like that made a difference I had no idea that you know doing this this one little thing differently could have such a big impact on my fitness and i think people the, the average person in the dark too like they don't recognize how much all these things play a role because they've never seen it and they've never had someone coach them through it so um you know like i said i think we're at we're at the start where we can actually take this this wearable data that's been out there for so long and i think we can make it useful for the first time the truth about wearable data is most people just kind of like look at it and they track it oh, it did so many steps but or got as much sleep, but it doesn't really put all the pieces together for them. And that's what wearable data can and should do. And that's really the whole reason I built more because like, wait a minute, we have all the answers here. Like we have all this data. It's just not doing anything for the coach. A coach can't see it. Like the athlete yeah. and the client doesn't know what to do with it. Like it's not really making a difference. And so that was my kind of my light bulb moment. I was like, wait a minute, we have the answer to this problem. Like we can, we can make coaching what it should be because the data is there. We just need to build the software and the tools to make it happen. And that was really what drove me to, to build the Memorpheus coaching platform and to take all the data and make it useful for a coach and make it practical, make it easy to apply and help them become better coaches and help clients become better clients. At the end of the day, you know, when you put those pieces together, the coach can see the data, the client can see the data, and you can build these sustainable fitness programs that you know produce long-term rewards and lasting results and real changes, whether it's to make the team for the first time or stay healthy for the first time or to find drop weight and keep it off or to hit PRs consistently, whatever it is, you know, it comes down to putting these pieces together. We just haven't been able to see most of them for, for, you know, the majority of the time until now. Yeah. I love it, man. Well, look, I know uh, we're kind of up against the clock here, but you have the Morpheus launch coming up and I know this is time sensitive. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about where people can find out more about you more about Morpheus so they can get connected to that stuff if they're interested. Yes. Yeah, so my main website, eight weeks out, just number eight weeks out.com and then train with Morpheus.com is where everything Morpheus is. And as you mentioned, we're launching a coaching platform for the first time. We're going to limit it to a couple hundred coaches so we can really iron out all the details and we're going to do a 30 day onboarding. So for 30 days, once a week, I'm going to jump on a live call with them. I'm going to walk them through how to use it, answer all our questions, just really, really dial things on in and get these coaches using this thing to the fullest of its potential. So because we are, like I said, time sensitive and limited, make sure you do go to trainwithmorpheus.com. We'll have all the information about the coaching platform, how to sign up, what it looks like, all that sort of stuff. And like I said, if you want to be in the first 200, you're going to want to do that ASAP to make sure 
you get in before we do close it back down. So we'll, we'll close it back down after we get 200 coaches, probably until December, January timeframe. I love it. Love it. And guys, I'm telling you, Joel has given me the sneak peek under the hood, so to speak. And man, this thing is awesome. Like I'm excited to use it. I want to start using it. I've already got people kind of in my head that I'm going to be using it with. So definitely check it out. Joel, thanks so much for your time, man. It was great catching up. And I feel like tons of good stuff on the show here today. Yeah, man. Thanks again for having me. Like I said, I think I've been on your podcast more than anybody else's. I always <laughs> enjoy the conversations. I hope your listeners find it valuable. I think we're, we're going to get this platform out there. We're going to make a difference and uh, appreciate uh, the support and, and sharing with your audience. I love it, man. Well, thanks so much, my man. Thank you. my friend that does it for this week's show with joel really hope you enjoyed it he is absolutely one of my favorite people in the world to talk to like i told you up front all of the learning and the education that i took from him early on allowed us to really create a strong bond strong relationship we've collaborated on projects since then we're good friends and he's somebody i just think incredibly highly of Um, he's a very forward-thinking coach and if you're not on board with some of this stuff, I mean, you got to start diving in because whether we're talking recovery, whether we're talking about HRV, whether we're talking about learning how to truly auto-regulate the training of our clients and athletes, he is a great resource and I really hope you enjoyed the show. Now, normally I would ask you to do something for me. In this case, go subscribe, uh, share the episode. Obviously, you can do both of those things. But today I'm just going to ask you this, like if you really want to upgrade what you're doing as a trainer or as a coach, consider investing in Joel's Morpheus platform. I get paid absolutely nothing to do this or to say this. I just think the world of him and I know from using these tools myself, what a profound impact it can have on your clients and athletes. So that does it for this week, my friends. As always, love and appreciate you. Thank you so much for your support. And we will be back next week with our next episode. Take care.